1: Good Tuesday morning. Welcome uh, to Squawk on the Street. Hope you had a good Labor Day weekend. I'm Carl Cantone with David Faber, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. Welcome to September. Dow futures down about 200 as a new round of tariffs takes effect on both the U.S. and China sides. Got a big week ahead with ISM in an hour, a jobs number on Friday, Powell in Switzerland. Europe is red and the 10-year back to 1.5. The pound at a two-year low as Johnson threatens a general election. Our roadmap begins with new tariffs on Chinese goods hitting over the weekend. No talks between. Between the u.s. and china in sight
2: and hurricane dorian battering the bahamas as coastal u.s. states brace for the worst and a longer wait for boeing's max could friction
1: between the company and air safety authorities threaten a new delay for that fleet we're going to begin this morning with the futures, though, slipping after those new tariffs on roughly $110 billion in Chinese imports went into effect on Sunday. The 15% U.S. duty hits consumer goods, ranging from footwear and apparel to home textiles and certain tech products like the Apple Watch. A separate batch of $160 billion in Chinese goods are slated to see new tariffs on December 15th, but reports say... Uh, Getting some parameters for new talks is proving to be difficult.
3: Exactly. So I I think that if you want to look at the bright side of that, the open or the pre-open this morning says there was no real hope for averting the tariffs built into the market on Friday. It's not as if you have a deal being handicapped right now in terms of what the market's expecting. On the other hand, I mean, bond yields are still at their lows. They're not giving much of a sense that uh, we're through this period of just general macro fear uh, suppressing any kind of you know, risk appetites. I mean, I think August took a lot more wear and tear on on the psychology of the market than it did on the indexes, right? The indexes didn't have that bad a month, but it was just a lot of chopping around and a lot of indecision. And it's hard to know if September is going to be that different to start. On the other hand, everyone is now very, very, very up on the idea that September is typically a weak month, and I think people are already kind of defensive. So this is what we're fighting out, I think, morning to morning.
1: Yeah, I didn't want to be the first to mention seasonality, but it is no, it's, historically the worst since about 1950. Worst it month for the Dow, worst month for the S&P.
3: It's one of the more unequivocal seasonal patterns. However, more recently, it's not necessarily been uh, as bad, it's like a coin flip as to whether it's up or down. Again, I think that um, the fact that August was al- already got people back on their heels, and you saw lots of outflows. You see all the sentiment uh, work saying people are very uneasy right now, and that's a net positive, even though it's not enough. You know, you need you need something to turn. You need uh, some sense that the that the macro data is uh, is is turning for the better, and you know we, that's not clear just yet.
2: Yeah, uh, dearth of corporate news as well. Not really much for the market to grab a hold of in terms of any earnings or any other news uh, that we might look for uh, as things sort of pick up again from the holiday season or from the end of summer season. Uh, and so the handful of phone calls I had this morning with asset managers basically were trying to trade, ugh. You know, <laughs> here we are and it's just going to be a slog and it, it's exactly. going to keep going.
3: And, you know, the rally for part of last week, I think, made it a tougher call today. Because it seemed like for a while, okay, we're at the, if we were at the bottom end of this trading range, people come back to work after Labor Day. It seems like people are too negative. It might have looked like a fatter pitch to just try and say, fine, I'm going to bet for some upside here. Now it's a, little, it's a little equivocal. Interestingly, literally, the S&P is where it was a year ago. I mean, September 1st of last year, I think it was 29.13 it closed at. I mean, that's basically where we're going to open today. Good news is slightly lower valuation, much lower bond yields. Maybe that's enough to cushion things. Yeah.
2: Where, where were we a year ago, Mike, in terms of the multiple? When you 17 stayed? forward.
1: Uh-huh. So
3: 17 times forward. However, we now know that in the year since then, earnings fell short of what was expected then. Right. So in reality, you were slightly more expensive than 17. So it all comes down to whether you think the forward earnings right now are plausible or not. And right. I think there's a lot of question about Early next year, especially.
1: Well, your point about macro data, certainly we're going to get a steady diet this week. As we said earlier, ISM manufacturing in about an hour. We'll see if it confirms uh, the contraction we saw out of market, yeah. which is not widely followed. Uh, jobs number Friday. And then this speech out of Powell in Switzerland, which will give him a chance post Jackson Hole to set the table for September. Well, I mean, what else could he possibly say?
3: Right, to characterize exactly what they are engaged in right now. Um, Obviously, I think they've backed away from the kind of mid-cycle adjustment language. Um, the market seems to want to see a greater sense of urgency, but doesn't like if they have to go through a lot of bad news to get to a greater sense of urgency by the
1: Fed. Uh, Morgan Stanley this morning says, we're past the point where falling rates help equity multiples. Oh, without a doubt. You yeah, think that's true?
3: Well, I think it's, it's pretty much there. Um, In terms of justifying higher multiples, I mean, you might mechanically get the bond-like stocks moving higher and the growth stocks getting more expensive if bond yields stay around here, but a rush to 1% in the 10-year, I don't think would happen under the circumstances where people would love paying up more for stocks, at least in the short term. Uh,
1: Sort of brings to mind uh, Peter Buchvar this morning saying, look, the S&P is only a few percentage points from the high, but Russell's down 14, Transport's down 12, BKX down 20, uh, because a lot what's supporting the overall market of those, those types of names you mentioned.
3: Exactly. So, I mean, you could look at that two ways. One is the market has kind of imposed pain on the areas where it probably should. And there's a lot of kind of beaten up stocks that you can get just a basic kind of laggard leading effect. Last week, we saw hints of that. You know, financials are just too cheap if bond yields don't go down anymore. That kind of uh, that kind of a sentiment. On the other hand, the quality and, and defensive stocks would probably come in in that.
2: feels like we've had a little bit more momentum both ways also. In other words, based on the fundamentals, I can think of, for example, of a Roku, strong fundamentals, right. but that stock has just not stopped. Yeah. And on the downside, a number of companies that are perhaps disappointed but have gone far beyond what one might have expected on the downside. I don't know if yeah, We're seeing a little bit more in this marketplace at this point in terms of both up and down, based There's... on originally fundamentals, but moving far beyond that.
3: Last week's responses to earnings, I mean, mostly it was retail, did seem pretty extreme. There were just this kind of binary move, um, obviously kind of an air pocket type uh, week, you know, last week of August. But, yeah, I think you could argue that, that basically people are keeping, in general, the market on a shorter leash, if only because they just assume that this is a late cycle moment and... You know, even if things are better, it feels like a last hurrah type of move. Now, I'm not saying that's right, but that's the psychology right now. Right.
1: There are some outlier calls for a monster rally in yeah. the back half. We'll talk more about that later. Joining us this morning, TD Ameritrade Chief Market Strategist J.J. Kinahan, Washington Crossing Advisor, Senior Portfolio Manager Kevin Carone. Guys, good morning. Good to see you both. Good morning, Carl. Good to be here. Uh, Kevin, any reason to think that September might uh, uh, contradict the seasonal pattern this year?
4: Yeah, well, you've got, a, you've got a world that's awash in liquidity, and the conversation you were just having really put, puts the, the, a fine point on it. We're at a point now where you're not seeing a lot, of, you're not seeing a lot in terms of growth. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of data out there that, that's pointing to maybe a weakening situation. You're going to get the ISM mm-hmm. later today, which is going to be very telling about the real economy here in the United States during August. But if growth doesn't break, let's say growth were to ha- hold on here, And you have all this liquidity and lower interest rates, there is a case to be made for higher multiples. No one wants to make that case this late in the cycle. um, But that would be the the good case, that you have supportive central banks, low interest rates, really nowhere else to go. And unless you get growth cratering over, there is a bullish case to be made for stocks. So is that the case you're making? No, it's it's essentially we're following the data. We're following the data, but we need to be able to see both the good case and the bad case, and that would be uh, the late cycle move to a frothy top, more on uh, expanding multiples than any and liquidity than anything else. It's not really our base case, but it's something we need to be aware of. We are looking at the data, and what we're seeing is that global trends are weaker manufacturing around the world is obviously weak. That's why ISM for August is so important for us today because that's really an early indicator about the cyclical part of the economy here in the United States and it's very fresh data. So that's going to be meaningful for us to watch. But we're watching the data and we're kind of in that middle place where things look stronger earlier in the year and have calmed down as we've come through the summer.
1: J.J., where is your head Uh, ahead of some of these important prints?
5: Well, you know, I I like Michael's point earlier about the fact that we haven't really gone anywhere in a year, but one thing that has changed significantly, Carl, is about a year ago we were trading on the VIX at near a 16. Now today we're going to open, it looks like, at about a 20 level. And so with that, I think you're seeing what the real crux of the problem is for many people, particularly a lot of uh, retail traders, and that is we're just stuck in this range, and, and it seems hard to see how we get out of it as long as the uh, tariff situation exists so it's going to be a matter of bouncing back and forth i think between about twenty seven fifty and three thousand we're you know holding twenty nine hundred which i think is a great thing overall But again you know i look at what our clients have done over the last two months carl they've actually been net sellers of equities and buyers of shorter term fixed income Because they're waiting for this moment, so to speak, who knows when it's going to happen when we get some settlement one way or the other. And I think we're at a point now where, of course, we care how this settles, but the market just wants some settlement one way or the other. One of the biggest things that concerns me about, you know, the earnings season that just ended is nobody talks about infrastructure or investing in infrastructure. And if you're a CEO, how can you make the choice to do so when you don't know where we're going to land? It's one of the reasons stock buybacks, I think, will continue and continue to support many, of the stocks in this market because companies have the cash but why would I go to infrastructure when it's the type of thing that can get me fired whereas you know buying back stock is not necessarily going to do so until there's a clearer picture.
3: You know, Kevin, one of the reasons that the volatility index is up around 20 is that, uh, to an unusual degree, almost all stocks are moving in the same direction on a given day. So everything seems to be correlated. We're very much in this macro mode in terms of how the market's behaving. Does that give you anything as a a kind of a fundamental asset manager uh, in terms of opportunity to say that some stocks don't belong up here or down here, uh, given that the the whole market's moving as one?
4: Uh, yeah, it, it's we look at a much broader uh, group of things than just the VIX. There is the the month of of uh, August was was bad for financial markets. There was a lot of nervousness and anxiety uh, that is shown in the VIX. Very hard to trade the VIX. We found, but ultimately ultimately what we're what what we be concerned about is if market psychology begins to bleed into business decision making and how investors feel about stocks and consumer confidence, that's the tipping point. So at Washington Crossing, we've taken our equity allocation down from more significantly overweight earlier this year to just above our neutral uh, level, but the trend has been down in terms of our data and down in terms of our a- allocation to equities, and we're just looking to see whether or not the, the sentiment in August now spills over into weakness here at home. And we're just not there yet to cut to a bearish case, but it's clearly weaker.
1: All right, guys, one more reason to pay close attention this week. Kevin, JJ, thanks, guys. We'll see you soon.
2: Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Five states are now under a state of emergency as Hurricane Dorian batters the Bahamas. Contessa Brewer joins us now. She has the latest on the storm. Contessa.
6: David, it's been downgraded to a Category 3 that has only just started moving again and only at a mile per hour, according to the National Hurricane Center. So wind and rain continue to lash the Bahamas. The prime minister there called the damage catastrophic infrastructure, communications, power lines, roads have been devastated. Freeport is the industrial center. It was slammed. Tourism is, of course, a main driver of the Bahamian economy. And we're still waiting to get some details coming in about the extent of the damage here. But we know analyst Harry Curtis at Nomura Incident has put the impact of the canceled cruises in the region at five cents per share. That's across cruise lines. In Florida today, we're looking for Universal to open. Disney will open, but will close early. That's across Disney World. Both are closing one of their water parks. SeaWorld, Kennedy Space Center, Legoland closed. Mandatory evacuations are in place in counties in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina. Seaports are closed. In fact, the port of Charleston will close tomorrow. A central rail line through Florida servicing CSX, Amtrak, and Sunrail has been shut down. UPS and Uber have suspended service in some places. And at least 1,400 flights have been canceled now. Airports in Orlando, Palm Beach, Fort Lauderdale closed. Though Fort Lauderdale is considering reopening, they're going to make a decision here in about 45 minutes. And Miami remains open at this point due to the changed course of this storm. Carl?
1: All right. We're going to watch that closely. Obviously, uh, just a brutal uh, storm uh, hovering off the coast of Florida right now. Contessa, thanks. We do want to bring your attention to a tweet by the president uh, about China. We're doing very well in our negotiations with China. While well, I'm sure they would love to be dealing with a new administration so they could continue their practice of rip off USA, 600 billion a year, 16 months plus is a long time to be hemorrhaging jobs and companies on a long shot. And then think what happens to China when I win. Deal would get much tougher. In the meantime, China's supply chain will crumble and businesses, jobs, and money will be gone. Uh, Just to give a sense of how the tone is going between those two sides.
3: Yeah, and no real market reaction. Remember, a a week ago we were kind of jockeying for the signals, and now it just seems like the market's entrenched in this idea that not a lot of movement.
1: When we come back, uh, reports of uh, tensions between Boeing and air safety authorities now threatening a, d- a new delay of the 737 MAX. We'll get some details Take another look here at the pre-market on this first trading day of September. We're back in a minute.
7: Let's get straight to the point.
1: Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Boeing is facing some new delays in returning its 737 max to service. That's according to a report in the Journal today. International regulators are reportedly upset over what they perceive as a lack of information from Boeing on its proposed software fixes for the grounded jet. And we know what United and American have already said about return to service probably into September, which is pretty much the heart of the travel season.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it keeps getting pushed out. It's interesting. Boeing shares up like 40 bucks in the last two weeks. So it's- sort of uh, came back up uh, below the lower end of this range, but it still does trade in the range, even as it gets deferred uh, in terms of the, uh, the comeback. I also think, you know, the effect on the, the macro manufacturing numbers has been significant, too. You look at GDP, uh, if they slow down production, it actually, it moves the needle, even though it doesn't say much about anything beyond Boeing. So I do think it kind of fits into the general overhang macro slowdown. Story, even if it's you know not something that uh, has many legs beyond. Yeah,
1: that. if you were going to have a grounding of any kind of airliner uh, from an economic standpoint, this would probably not be the time. I've right. heard anything from a quarter point. Of GDP to, I think, Secretary Ross says maybe four-tenths. Right. Something it's significant, right?
3: It is, but then it also gives you a little bit of an asterisk, right, if you want to evaluate how the underlying economy is doing, and it sort of feeds into the consumer versus industrial split that we've been looking at for weeks now.
2: Right. Would not expect it would be outperforming the S&P over the last year, to your yeah. point earlier about the S&P being Built flat, up such a huge cushion and against it did. the s It did. And, it's and Boeing being up a little over 6%, I guess.
3: Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing. It really has not buckled the, the overall stock. Uh, people believe in the longer-term story right or wrong.
1: Right. Even despite concerns among some that the Chinese could employ some kind of nuclear option where they blow up all kinds of orders, cancel sure. their years and years of commercial deliveries in the years to come.
3: People get a lot of comfort about the global du- duopoly. Where are you really going to go if you need to, long-term, kind of feed the demand for air miles? Right.
1: In the meantime, the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ are both holding a moment of silence for the victims of the Midland and Odessa, Texas shootings. If you haven't heard yet, a gunman killed seven, uh, shooting randomly from a vehicle for over 10 miles. It is the second mass shooting in Texas in the last month, 283rd of the year. Take a look at futures here, down over 200 as uh, we watch Dorian, ISM in half an hour, first day of September, a new batch of tariffs on Chinese goods. Opening bell is seven minutes away.
0: For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing 1 billion dollars to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at comcast.com/projectup. You seek the key.
1: You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street, live from the financial capital of the world. The opening bell in three and a half minutes uh, as Tuesday kicks off the month of September uh, for the investing public. Uh, We're watching a bunch of different things, not just futures, but gold's up 16 bucks as uh, the FT puts yes. it on page one. The holdings in gold ETFs uh, pumping $5 billion in, I think, six-year high in terms of holdings. Yeah, it's been,
3: uh, I mean, clearly a huge bull move in the last, you know, six weeks or so. You look at an eight-year basis, it's still down, so people feel as if there's a lot of pent-up demand. I mean, I think it's, it's part of the same macro story we've been talking about. 0% yields around the world makes uh, the opportunity cost of holding gold lower. But also, the U.S. dollar is, is making new highs. So it's not a weak dollar play at all right now. As a matter of fact, the U.S. dollar index above 99. A lot of that was yesterday's moves while the U.S. stock market was closed. It's pretty much at a close to a three-year high. Uh, right after the election, the U.S. dollar index hit 100. So it's all, I think, part of this same kind of hunkering down trade that's going on around the world.
2: Speaking now. of other commodities worth mentioning, crude also down about 3.5% this morning so far. Uh, Trading right above 53 bucks, uh, as you see WTI, and we'll show it to you in just a minute there, uh, guys. Uh, Another reflection, obviously, of concerns perhaps about the global economy overall.
1: And then we love to monitor the German Bund, 10-year, minus 72 basis points. uh, As we're going to start asking more serious questions this month and next about whether or not there's any... um, anxiety about further stimulus out of the E C B, right? Whether or not this rubber band is stretched as far as it yeah, can two go. Two
3: sided two sided anxiety about yeah. that, yeah. right? One is will they give us more and two is would it do any good or would it make any difference? I think I think a, a German recession of some description is probably now the premise. A lot of people assuming, at least on a technical basis, and that's reflecting that. I mean, in that context, the U.S. 10-year basically holding around 1.5, 1.5. Um, the U.S. 2-year to 10-year curve is also kind of hovering in this zone right now of virtually flat. Um, you know, it's not the worst thing. It's not following the German yield down tick for tick, but it's you know that's about the best you can say at right. the moment.
1: As for the new round of tariffs on Chinese goods, as we said, 15% on the $110 billion, Obviously, much more consumer focus this time. What was, what's been Kramer's latest take on this round and whether or not it could impact consumption, if at all?
2: Uh, Jim has been, has been somewhat standoffish, I think, that would be the way to... I'm not sure he'd want me to paraphrase, yeah, yeah. but um, and not necessarily believing that we're going to have any resolution anytime soon. Um, and so it's sort of been advising kind of pulling back a bit, I think, is fair to say. At least uh, the last time we spoke, which was early last week, he was away towards the end of the week. You know, you've made this point, Mike, I think it's an important one. The numbers themselves are coming down. We keep working with 300 billion, but it's not going to necessarily be 300 billion. In terms billion of anymore.
3: goods that are affected. Ter- yes. Exactly. Right, so whether well, that's good or bad, right? I mean, whether that means there's less actual tariff revenue, and just basically both countries are disengaging uh, to some degree and lowering the stakes for trying to get a deal down the road.
1: Let's get the opening bell here in the S&P 500 at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. At the big board, it's CNH Industrial, maker of trucks and tractors. At the NASDAQ, it's Patterson UTI Energy, a provider of oil field services and products. And to David's point about crude, back below, uh, well, closer to 53 than 54 now as a proxy for global growth. Both, um, whether it's European demand, U.S. or China demand, right, a huge driver of uh, global demand.
3: Yeah, and, you know, the stocks are are essentially, they they kind of like... uh they can't win either way because they underperform crude when crude is rallying the energy stocks, and then they, they take the brunt of it when, when crude is, uh, is pulling back. It's, it's really kind of fascinating, despite the fact that energy is now less than 5% of the index. Um, it's right at the center of why value and contrarian investing seems not to be working at the moment.
1: Very narrow uh, winning breadth here at the open. Uh, and the names you'll know at the top of the list will include things like Newmont uh, Gold, Hershey, Kimberly-Clark, a couple Dominion. Uh, This is the usual suspects of what it looks like when you're counting on slower global growth. Yeah,
3: we should point out, so Boeing opens up down, you know, 2.8 percent, $10. That represents about 70 70 points on the Dow. Um, So of the Dow's decline, 70 points of it, uh, more than a quarter is, is Boeing at the moment.
1: Keep your eye on Amazon today. We're going to talk to Mark Mahaney of RBC later this morning, who does take his target uh, from twenty-two fifty to twenty-six hundred. Reiterates his outperform. Uh, Be curious to see what his uh, reasoning is here. I've been told it's regarding the impact of Prime One Day Shipping uh, and the initiative that that might drive overall retail sales for Amazon. But twenty-six hundred, I don't street high. If not, it's awfully close. It's,
3: it's, I would imagine, it's, it's it's pretty close. Um, It seems also. I mean. You know, as there are so many believers in the long-term story, I still think it's got 100% buy ratings on it. You know, you take the opportunities if you believe in the story when tactically it's pulled back. I mean, it really has not been a great performer, certainly relative to the highs last year. So uh, 1770 right now. Stock's not really responding at the moment, but there's a lot of headroom between where it's trading and where it was when it hit a trillion dollar market cap late last yeah, year. Yeah,
2: there is only one trillion dollar market cap at the uh, moment. right now. Of that's course, right. that's Microsoft, which has been the case for, uh, for a bit of time now. Um, Mike, you and I were very focused on Friday on Ulta uh, yes. because of that incredible uh, percentage decline in the overall value of the company. Given what were unexpectedly, uh, well, not the numbers themselves as much as it was really the guidance and changes in behavior. We spent a lot of time on Friday talking about it. I did have a chance to catch up with my 14-year-old daughter yeah. this weekend, sort of get her take on it all. You're up on contouring. I'm now. much better. Yeah. I'm much more yeah. well aware of it. She says it's a little early to buy the stock. No, I'm it? kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> right. She has no idea about whether to yeah. buy it or not. But it is down yet again, uh, just a little over a percent, but no bounce there. No
3: bounce, and I, I do think, and to your point about the guidance, it was it was a lot of commentary about the category in general and just you know the, the sort of cultural momentum behind uh, some of the cosmetics trends. I do think that's what spooked folks in an expensive, you know, specialty retail
1: stock. Have we, have we had a chance to talk about this one with Jim? Right, no, has we been didn't. one of his. No. Yeah, we didn't. And is he it was... the best S and P over since the crisis? It's if not, it's in the it, top it's five, right? Close, yeah. yeah.
3: Now it wasn't in the S and P at right. the time of the crisis, so you have to, you know, account for the fact that it made its way in. There. But yeah, it's been a monster performer. It's still, you know, thirteen billion dollar market value you know, for a relatively modest sized company.
1: All right. Well, obviously, um, people are good. it might be used as a. Um, as a proxy for the bearish case put out by Morgan Stanley again this morning, they point to three things. The obvious decline in confidence that we saw last week, uh, net job creation, uh, work hours beginning to roll over a bit, and then personal earnings growth, average weekly earnings, especially on a real basis, is nowhere near where it was at the beginning of the year. Their theory is that this eventually does hit consumption and consumer spending and kind of how it impacted business investment earlier in the year.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, th- there's no doubt that the, the the weekly earnings number that they cite has certainly rolled over It's still growing, but definitely uh, more like the trend of, of several years ago as opposed to the more uh, past couple of years. And I think that's really, that's the front line of the debate right now, is, is can this be just considered a industrial kind of manufacturing trade downturn, or is it going to be something more per, uh, pervasive? Last week. The data were mixed, although the the ratification, we got a 2% quarter in the second quarter, revision of GDP. I think comforted some folks, but the bond market didn't really respond to that. The consumer sentiment from Michigan was way lower than the conference Conference board, board. consumer confidence. That's often also cited, that widespread, as a pre-recessionary condition, too. So I do think that we're not out of this zone of feeling as if Um, It's touch and go as to whether the U.S. economy can kind of plug along at the 2 percent pace for a while or better.
1: The White House would counter by saying uh, current uh, assessment of the economy uh, is a 19-year high by by some measures. But it's the expectations component, what people think it's going to be like in a year.
3: thats that's the, The confidence components that heavily weight current conditions and employment circumstances are very strong. And and so that's that's kind of a good thing. That's what we know. Uh, I don't think we can trust consumers to really be able to project the business environment down the road and say what their outlook is. But it does show you there's an anxiety. I think with the stock market, it's a very similar thing. I think people can look and say, hey, stocks look reasonably valued. Certainly, if bond yields are going to be anywhere in this zone on a relative basis, stocks look good. Dividend yields exceeding bond yields and all the rest of it. The question is, um, you know. What could we anticipate from here? And is this going to be essentially a profit peak that we're, that we're valuing stocks off of right now? And that's, that's what we don't know. I, I take heart in the fact that sentiment really has turned very negative. And the last couple of times we had an 18-month sideways trading range in the S&P 500 with sentiment very negative and bond yields very low, 2011, 2016, and then you got another big up leg in the market. But the question is, how many more of those do we get?
2: <laughs> it works until it doesn't. Yeah. Uh quiet morning when it comes to uh, M&A guys certainly uh, you know sometimes there's an expectation perhaps after a long weekend in the beginning of uh, the fall if we want to call it that even though I know we have a few more weeks technically till that begins we start to see some announcements let's not forget though we're only a week away from what was at least news of conceivably what would be the largest transaction you've seen all year Altria and Philip Morris International of course in talks about an all-stock merger of equals we told you there no premium and those two stocks did react to that initially on that day in question I think it was just a week ago. Um, One other deal that uh, certainly I followed for so long before it occurred, but since then many investors are probably sorry they ever followed at all, is CBS and Viacom. don't know if people have paid attention, but in the last few weeks since the deal was actually announced, let's talk to to nothing but go down. Uh, You can take a look, of course, Viacom and CBS. They both trade more or less in line with each other, and they're both down about one6 1.7% right now. Uh, And if you take a look at the last few weeks, you'll see... uh, Not the reception, perhaps, that had been hoped for, though the two companies obviously continue uh, and will continue to extol the virtues of their potential union. Uh, We're going to hear more about it, I would expect. we got uh, Goldman Sachs' media telecom conference next week. We'll get some conversation there, I'm sure. Todd Younger, a fairly um, negative analyst overall at... uh, I shouldn't say that. He's been negative on these companies for some time at Bernstein. He comes out with a piece this morning Saying, you know, in his opinion, even though they keep talking about spending as much as $13 billion in combined content, a lot of that's on sports. Uh, A lot of that is uh, non-scripted. And he would go on to sort of say that stuff doesn't necessarily work when you're looking to compete against Disney Plus and Netflix and Hulu in terms of the direct-to-consumer world. And that's where a lot of investors are focused. Is this going to give this combined company the wherewithal? to really compete in that world, Younger makes the point, listen, The Daily Show, take that for an example. Yeah, it's great, Uh, except it's a daily news program. It is comedy-related, obviously. Depends if you think he's funny or not. But the fact is, are you really going to want to watch one that's a few weeks old, let alone a few years old, on a a service like that? And you could make the same arguments to a certain extent for Jersey Shore, Teen Mom, or The Hills. The library value, he says, isn't zero, but we don't think it's much higher than that. And that's actually something I've been hearing prior to his putting it in print from some other investors in terms of how much they really need to spend and whether they actually have this, the scale to do so.
3: Yeah, I guess it really then leaves you with the idea that putting these companies together is, is about kind of shrinking more smartly or, or becoming a, a more focused player in, in the areas where they have some kind of an advantage, not really going head to head and saying we're going to have a full-fledged, you know, right. streaming Or fraud.
2: about whatever is next. You right. Mean, exactly. It's continuing to bolt on and add, or you know, possibly deciding to sell uh, as a combination. Again, that's all speculation. But, uh, but it has been a decidedly negative market reaction thus far, at least, to the deal itself. Yeah.
1: Uh, We're uh, obliged to bring you the latest treat from the president. Uh, For all of the geniuses out there, many who have been in other administrations and taken to the cleaners by China, that want me to get together with the EU and others to go after China trade practices, remember, the EU and all treat us very unfairly on trade also will change. Uh, This might stem from some comments earlier this morning that uh, this would have been a better practice taking on China, had you had help, it would have prevented... Uh, suppliers or china from massaging supply chains that still act to their advantage right if you had others on your side
3: and and presumably that's going to be one of the the modes of uh, of attack by whatever democratic opponent comes out there not so much we should have been you know easier on china but there was a smarter way to prosecute this trade
2: contest right. including tpp yeah. which of course uh, the administration pulled out of very quickly now by the way it was unclear whether it was ever going to get congressional approval right. But a lot of people who've come on our air over the last year or so always point to that as having been a fairly effective tool, in their opinion, in terms of isolating China and creating a real fair trade zone, free trade zone as well with many of the other Asian nations.
1: Really quick, uh, Reuters has a couple headlines about the ECB citing sources. They have room for about a year of QE, uh, using flexibility under existing rules, uh, and that they are leaning toward a rate cut, uh, reinforcing guidance in September 12th stimulus package. So uh, who knows if that's why we're off the initial lows, but computers are seeing those headlines as we speak. Let's get to Dominic Chu, see what else is moving. Hey, Dom.
8: All right. So, Carl, good morning. As we talk about the idea that setups are starting to happen as Wall Street gets back into full swing, coming off vacations, we do see that we have a and p 500 that's currently hovering just around uh, 2909 or thereabouts. So still making a move towards that 3,000 level and holding kind of steady right at 2,908, as you can see here. So as we watch what's happening with markets, a down day across the board. But what's interesting about the setups right now, take a look at some of the ways that the cap structure has worked out with regard to small, medium, large cap stocks. If you look at the S&P 500, Russell, and the mid-cap 400, that's the way it is. The Russell 2000 is still up about 10% right now on a year-to-date basis. 12% for mid-caps and then 16% for large-caps. So that gap between small and large continues to get a little bit bigger right now. That's something traders are watching. Also, the development between growth and value. So far this year, there has been a market outperformance in certain parts of the market specifically with regard to growth stocks over value stocks. One thing that you can see here is the Russell 1000 ETF, the one that tracks it, the IWB, is up about 16%. Meanwhile, the value side of things is up about 11% and almost double that in terms of the growth side of things so growth continues to be the driver of that environment for stocks overall we'll see if that trend continues you can see that kind of gap getting bigger there also with regard to the sector performance over the course of the near to medium term if you take a look at the real outperformance and underperformance in the summer months since about the end of may A massive move for technology, up about 12%. Meanwhile, financials and energy, the two worst performers, so you can see that technology communication services trade still really driving a lot of the action here. That'll be one thing to figure out as the volatile summer kind of comes to a close heading to the year end. And then just to kind of put a bit of a macro spin on it, remember, so far this year, stocks, bonds, and gold have generally performed all within the same relative area. But over the course of the past three months, that's where the real outperformance has come out. Stocks in the S&P 500 are only up about 6% over that three-month span. Meanwhile, long-term treasury ETFs are double that performance and triple that coming from gold itself. So as traders get back toward the second half of the year and going into the last maybe holiday season part of trading, that setup is going to be something that's going to be real key. Does it break down? Does it return to historical norms? Or do gold and haven assets like bonds continue to outperform stocks? All some of the big themes that traders will be dealing with, Carl, as things get back into the... last four months of the trading year, certainly something we'll be watching today, guys. Back over to you.
2: All right, Tom. Thank you, Tom Chu, back at, uh, actually, right here, right here, right over here, (laughs) my shoulder. All right, let's get over to Bertha Kumso. She's at the NASDAQ, has more for what's moving on that market this morning. Bertha.
9: Yeah, I'm up a few blocks from you. Uh, the Nasdaq in the red, along with everything else today. Small caps also lower. Interesting, Dom was talking about the, the Russell 2000. The Russell 2000 will lap its 52-week high tomorrow, and it is down 14 percent from one year ago. A little better on the Nasdaq composite overall, uh, not in correction territory. Apple, one of the big drags that we have seen over the last month as there have been concerns about the growth about out a slowdown in consumer spending, and also, of course, the tariffs. The Apple Watch uh, is among the items that will be taxed with those new tariffs of uh, 15% that are now in effect. The Fang names, uh, we're seeing a mixed result right now. Uh, Amazon, a little bit higher, notwithstanding the fact that folks are worried about what all those tariffs are going to mean for consumer goods. Uh, the only one of the Fang names that is not in correction is Alphabet. It's down about 8.5% from its 15 52-week high. Uh, Chips continue to be in focus as well. They have come under pressure whenever we've seen these tariffs. Concerns down about 1% this month after falling about 2.5 percent in August, just shy of that, uh, off about 8.5 percent from its 52-week high. But bucking the trend this morning is Tesla. The U.S. and uh, China may not have a meeting, but it appears he did have a meeting in Beijing and came away with a tax break uh, for Tesla owners, uh, notwithstanding the fact that Tesla continues to hit new lows. Back over to you guys.
1: All right, Bertha, thank you very much. We'll see you in a little while. Let's get to the bond pits as well. Check in with Rick Santelli of the CME Group in Chicago. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Carl. Treasury rates continue to kind of surf right above
10: cycle lows. Look at an August 1st of 10-year note yields. Last week, we had a 147 close in 10s. That takes you back a little over three years, basically August of 2016. Here we are at 149. Now, if we look at a three-day chart of the two-year in europe known as the shots you could see it dipped into the mid-90s now it's only in the light minus 90s but it really underscores most likely you're going to see triple digits in the front of the euro curve after the september 12th meeting or at least that seems to be the whisper on the street that there's going to be a rumble of stimulus in front of of course a change of power from mario draghi back into the head of the imf christine lagarde with respect to the currency market look at the pound versus the dollar this is a twenty year chart you won't find the dollar stronger anywhere the pound weaker because it goes actually all the way back to february of eighty five since we're last at these levels of course brexit politics figuring in largely and boris johnson's strategy to try to have a no deal brexit to get a better deal brexit and finally the other big currency the euro versus the dollar Lowest level since May of 17, which, by the way, is the last time the dollar index was at current
1: levels. Carl, back to you. All right, Rick, we'll see you in a little bit. When we come back, uh, the latest round of tariffs taking effect, how it's impacting staples like food. Former McDonald's chief Ed Renzi is going to be with us. And then later, the CEO of Ethan Allen on how tariffs in the trade war are impacting his bottom line. Dow down 249. A lot of that is Goldman and Boeing. And by the way, market uh, PMI 50.3, a 10-year low with ISM on the way. Germany and so many other countries have negative interest rates, says the president. They get paid for loaning money, and our Federal Reserve fails to act. Remember, these are also our weak currency competitors. Dow unchanged on that, down 264.
3: A new wave of tariffs on Chinese goods taking effect on Sunday, covering many consumer goods like apparel, footwear, and food. After hitting all-time highs Friday, shares of Chipotle, Tyson, Campbell, pepsico all moving lower joining us now to discuss the tariff impact on this sector former mcdonald's usa ceo and fat branch chairman ed renzi Uh, ed good morning good morning nice to see you you too the uh, this round of tariffs really the first one that has the the chance of affecting everyday consumer spending coming at a time when consumer sentiment is looking a little bit wobbly off of high levels how does this all fit into the the set of issues that uh, that the restaurant and food industry facing right now well,
11: there's a couple things. Uh, the commodity prices are 30%, uh, 35% of the cost of uh, sales in a typical restaurant, and some as high as 50%. And any time commodities go up, obviously, your P&L goes down, and it's inflationary, so you've got to figure out how to become more efficient or raise prices, one or the other. But there's an abundance of grains in the United States, an abundance of protein right now. Uh, I think that uh, it can be absorbed in the in the short to medium term. Long term it could get problematic uh, but I think in the short term it's okay. Plus the economy uh, for the average guy in the street uh, feels a lot better with the energy prices down, gasoline's a lot cheaper, uh, the tax uh, benefit they got from Trump's tax plan. So there's a little more disposable income and I'm looking at restaurants that I deal with uh, across the board are up anywhere from two to seven percent and growing very nicely. Transaction counts are good uh, in the absence of price increases, frankly. So I think pretty optimistic about the restaurant industry. Some of the other industries um, I don't have that much knowledge of, but right now the restaurant industry looks good.
3: Yeah, we're looking at some of these uh, some of these charts of the quick service and fast casual restaurants. They obviously have been very strong. It's a pretty clear uh, read, I guess, on uh, consumers' working and ability uh, to spend. So what, what are the challenges then? I mean, right now you have a very tight labor market uh, and a lot of talk, out there uh in the coming campaign about uh about even you know raising minimum wages and things like that.
11: Well clearly uh labor costs are going up not so much because of minimum wage uh it's because we've got such full employment it's hard to find employees at any cost and I see uh job offers out there for restaurant managers north of a hundred thousand dollars a year if they've got good experience and a good history and hourly workers are getting $15, 16 $17 an hour in big metro areas. And in the smaller communities, they're $12, $13 an hour if you can get uh, applicants. And I know that for probably every 10 applicants or every 10 jobs need filled, you only get one or two applicants, and a lot of them aren't qualified to work. So labor is going to be a problem going forward if this economy stays yeah. uh, as robust as it is. Hey, Ed,
1: really quick, uh, this Popeye sandwich, I got to ask you. It is, is it a lesson about how menu drives traffic, or is it a logistics issue about how you run out of something like that?
11: <laughs> well, you know, it's never good to run out of anything. And uh, planning, uh, particularly for large changes, is hugely important. And understanding uh, where your crops are coming from. And it is about the menu, it is about great taste, it's a gra- great service. Uh, people want to be entertained when they eat. And bad food, bad service is not good for the restaurant industry. Yeah,
3: that's for sure. They, they clearly have uh, a taste for something new uh, that gets buzzy, too. Ed, thank you very much. We'll have to leave it there, Ed Renzi.
1: You've been listening to The Opening Bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.